I didn't understand that. Can you please try again? Did you learn anything from your uh, super secret NDA uh, safe harbor private conference call with your, uh, what do you call them, MVPs? Uh, I guess it was a webinar, so yeah, I learned mm-hmm. something. Well, what can you tell us, John? Nothing. You just said Nothing. it. It's all no. an NDA. No, it's, <laughs> it's so secret. It's so important that we just told a group. How many MDAs are there? Or MVPs are there? I don't know, like I don't know between two and three hundred. Yeah. <clears throat> um. Yeah. So what's going on, man? The world is falling. The world is falling. You mean the sky is falling? Are you mixing your metaphors again? <laughs> I just like saying words sometimes just to see what happens. Random words. <clears throat> it's like everything, it's, everything with you is like a Mad Libs. It You're is. just filling in nouns and verbs randomly. Yeah. <clears throat> well, yesterday, yesterday was a special day. Can you tell me what yesterday was? March 14th. It was pie day, John. It was pie day. Did you have any pie? <laughs> I did not. Should have though, huh? I, I yeah, I, I find out I really don't like pie. <clears throat> I mean, I'll eat it now, if you it's like, there, yeah, but... You like, you're like preferential to cookies. I am. I'm very preferential. So, so I was like, oh, it's pie day. I should have some pie. I was like, I really don't like pie, so I'm not going to eat pie. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Cherry pie, apple pie, pumpkin pie. I'm, I'm crazy about any of these. Not me. I'll take a cookie. Yeah. But it was also special for another reason. Uh, because it's Einstein's birthday. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> And Salesforce celebrated by selling you some Einstein. No, what, they, hey, what way to honor, you know, Albert Einstein than selling some crap by using his name? <laughs> you know, I, I, I got to stop giving them crap about that because I, I, I've learned something. Um, um, but anyways, so, so it was their birth. It was his birthday yesterday in Salesforce. They created a page, you know, saying happy birthday and, and a small paragraph about his accomplishments, kind of the bullet point list. And then they had a bunch of his, his, uh, some of their favorite of his quotes, and they gave you a, a nice and easy little link so you can tweet those if you wanted to. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you'd expect. I was kind of misled by the title of the article, though, because it said, Four Ways Albert Einstein Inspired Us or Inspires Us. And I thought this was going to be kind of insightful and, and all that kind of stuff. And it was one paragraph about his accomplishments and then a bunch of his quotes to tweet out. It's like, okay, that doesn't tell me anything, so yeah, I don't know. But again, I was talking about the crap about this because I went to the Albert Einstein site. It, it's it's a weird site. It's the URL is Einstein.biz. It's weird that it's a .biz. Why there not like go. a .org or something? What else do you need to know? <laughs> who owns who owns the, like the the rights to his, you know his name his his likeness all that? Uh, Princeton Us- University Press apparently. So they bought it. Well, they they own the they rights. Own or well, let's see. It says. Uh, the names Albert Einstein and Einstein and the official Albert Einstein logos are either trademarks or registered trademarks belonging to the Hebrew University of Jerusalem. So I guess maybe hmm. Princeton University Press manages it. I don't know. Einstein, yeah, there's there's literally a, a website and a company dedicated. I know to selling this guy. And there's a there's a there's a dedicated license and general inquiries. And and so if you go to that, you get is your company interested in using Einstein for any commercial purposes, including advertising and merchandising, blah, blah, blah. Then it gives you this uh basically lead gen form for it. So uh and then they've also got a store 
So if you want uh, want to wear some cool Einstein stuff with his picture on it and all that and tote bags and everything, but you don't want the Salesforce logo on it, you can go there and get it. But yeah, it's uh, Einstein is a big business, so I'm gonna stop giving Salesforce crap about using Einstein. Oh, it doesn't I mean just because a lot of people have, you know, shamelessly uh, you know abuse this doesn't mean that it makes it right or any less worse. <clears throat> is what it is. I wonder if Salesforce came to this site though and and filled out the lead gen form and. You know, said, hey, we want to... Oh, maybe. Maybe that's is. how they got the ball rolling. Because <laughs> the uh, Einstein.biz made it easy. Well, uh, do we have any follow-up? Uh, I don't know about follow-up, but we have a couple of questions from our community and uh, one review. Well, let's, I, I have some follow-up. Let's do that. Let's see. What did we talk about last week? There was that live event. Live event, and we learned that uh, Salesforce does one thing, and that's CRM. That must have been a boring episode because we didn't really get any... any uh, not, not much feedback from that. <laughs> well, I enjoyed it. Um, but I do have some follow-up. So, you know, the I consulted with a person who is a, not only um, knows quite a bit about Salesforce, but it also is a CPG, uh, direct store distribution kind of expert, a lot of experience with that. And I had them watch that that video. Uh, the Salesforce, the, the uh, interview or that live no, the, event? the the Richard so yeah the live event where Richard Socher dim, demonstrated. So first of all, th- this person actually pointed out things I didn't even notice. So when he took a photo of that Coke cooler, mm-hmm. it it got some things wrong. <laughs> and when he received the email, so it also he pl- placed the order and then he got an email. When he checked the email, it had different stuff. So the email was canned fake. Well, it he was, really he really analyzed that. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So I didn't even notice that. But anyway, so this person said that taking a photo of the cooler wouldn't work because in most places where there's a cooler like that, there's people are going to be facing that in that that inventory. And so if you take a picture of it from the front, it's going to look like it's always going to look like it's full for the most part. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so yeah. that wouldn't work. <laughs> Oh, you mean for inventory purposes? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. so they're you know you, you you've worked in retail before. They they yeah. you face inventory. You make it look like it's full. Yeah, you put, even though it's not. Yeah, bring so if you go take a picture of the front, it's going to look full. Yeah, even when it's you know half empty or half full, depending on your perspective. Uh, they also said that you know a system like this would never upsell. So you know whatever this thing was was trying to upsell this person, and it's like they would never upsell these these people. They already, I mean, all these promotions and buy one, get ones and all that stuff, it's all on a schedule. It's all planned ahead of time. You're not, you know, you don't do like on the spot stuff like that. Right. Um, and also, they, um, I, I think someone mentioned this. I don't know if it's Richard or, or Benioff, but they've talked about, you know, instead of, instead of having to just come in here and, and write down or, the order that, you know, you can use this Einstein system to do this. Well, these guys don't write down orders. If you look at any you know in, any of these big companies that de- that deliver this kind of product, they don't write down orders. They have little machines. Yeah, they've they've got either little a scanner. Handouts. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they scan everything they pull off the truck. So, and you don't order you don't order stuff. You don't look at this. You don't look at the stock or look at the shelves and order stuff to be delivered later. They're delivering right then. Right. Um, but this person said. Uh, meanwhile. Yeah, you know, so they've got this supposedly fancy technology, but meanwhile, I can't map it. I can't map description field for lead conversion. You can't map the description field. I guess I didn't. Did you know that? No. So, yeah. I and roll up summary fields suck, and you can't do ORs. I guess on them, and 
then, I, of course, I could chime in with, you know, Apex doesn't have switch statements, you know, packages, any kind of class organization. <laughs> but we... It, it sounded like you guys just sat around. But you know, what, you know what the nice thing is, though, John? Yeah? Uh, about all this is it doesn't matter because pretty soon... Uh, AI is going to be writing all this code for us, and we won't have to worry about Apex's severe limitations. Yeah, no, I know. It's going to write it for us. You're just going to say, hey, I want a mobile app for real estate, and it's just going to crap out. And, uh, I should probably... <laughs> <laughs> I should probably bleep that. <laughs> you know, and it's going to pop out a, a, an app for you that does exactly what you need it to do. <laughs> anyway, actually, that's, that was in the news, so I'm, I'm, I'm giving a little preview of what's to come. You notice how I've like, <laughs> I've you notice how I've uh, chippered up here. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, know what, what you, you know, did. We fl- you hit the record button and flip the headset you on. See the, the light the and it's yeah. a switch. It's almost like the the red flag for a bull. Oh, I can't help it. I get pumped up. <laughs> anyway, that was my follow up. That's all I had. Uh, well, I, I I hope you guys are doing it over a beer because it sounds like you guys got pretty animated in that discussion. There's not much I don't do over a, an adult beverage of some sort, <laughs> especially when Salesforce <laughs> is involved. What, don't people have all these like why admins drink, right? Yeah. So. All right. Uh, so you want to do what? Some 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 other front matter? Yeah, let's um let's get the review. So I like reviews. I enjoy them. It's good feedback. So uh, this is titled a must for all Salesforce stakeholders. Now, who was this? Because he he or she I can't remember posted in the in the Slack, and I want to I want to pull up their comment. Uh, this was Matt Trevisono. Trevisono? I hope I'm saying that right. And we're okay, it's okay to use his... Well, this is from the review, not from <clears> Slack. <throat> okay. So this was, uh, he says, Excellent podcast, especially if you're training to be a Salesforce developer. I listened to the entire back catalog. Wow. That's awesome, because we're here at that, 121. I feel sorry. I mean, I, I feel bad when I hear that. <laughs> All right. I listened to the entire back catalog as I was learning Apex, and it was very helpful. If you're not a coder, then the technical discussions will sound like white noise to you. But you will surely enjoy the rest of the show, which covers the entire spectrum of the Salesforce phenomena, from from the tech to earnings reports to Mark Benioff's uh, political activism. Jeremy and John cover it all and put on a great show. Thank you. Appreciate the review. Yeah, that's good. And then uh, I thought he wanted us to mention something. He, uh, why can't I? I don't know. For some reason, I'm having a hard time searching in our Slack. Slack search is not great. It is a little tough. I've I've had to try to find things in it, and it just didn't do that well. But didn't he want us to mention something? That's really what I'm going for here. I don't know. You you don't recall this? I don't. Where is he from, Matt? Okay. Hmm. I can't find it. Well, uh, Matt, if there's something you want us to mention, I thought there was. Let us know. And I'm almost positive he came and he's like, "Yeah, I'm just." I really just wanted them to mention this, and it was it sounded it was like something interesting. Uh, but, but you know what? No, no, no. Uh, someone else. So I take this back. I'm completely mixing. They came into the channel around the same time. That's why. Um, uh, what is this? I mean, I guess since we're well, you know. So Matt, thank you, so thank you so much for the review. It helps. It helps people find us uh, because that's just the way iTunes works, and uh, it's good. Appreciate that. If anyone else would like to leave us a review, that would be great. They're easy. You don't, and if you don't want to leave a review because you're not, you know, you don't like words, you can just click stars. The stars help too, I'm sure. It all, it's you know, it funnels into the AI. It's signals, John. Yep. These are signals. We're we're gonna plug in Watson and Einstein into this baby. So sick. We need signals. Uh, no. Um, someone else. Uh, Todd Halfpenny. Uh huh. Great last name. I love that. Um, he has this thing called clicks, not passwords. 
And it basically, I haven't dug into it or used it. You might be interested in this. It's a, do you have, do you, did you get Salesforce DX? I didn't. So if I remember correctly, this let, it's basically like a multi, a multi credential login thingy for DX, I guess. Oh, it's a tray icon app for use with Salesforce DX aliases. I don't even know what that means because I don't have DX. Yeah, apparently, I don't either. So I, I saw there was a thread on it and I tried to follow it a bit, but since I don't have context, it was a bit hard to follow. But apparently you can create some kind of alias for your instance um, for use with the, with I, I'm assuming the CLI. Okay. And then that'll let you, that's apparently will let you kind of quickly access those. Yeah. So, you know, it's at uh, github.com slash Todd Halfpenny slash clicks dash not dash passwords. Clicks not, I like that. Clicks not passwords. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Anyway. Uh, okay. What else? All right. So let's, let's get to some questions. Uh, this one is, I'm not sure this is a question. Um, uh, he says we can use his name. So this is Scott Mackwaters. He says he does. He does. He he was referring to our to our merchandising because we, we really don't have any merchandising. That would be nice to kind of have a little store if people wanted stuff. But I don't know. That would be good. I, I've wondered, like you know, because we uh, you know my aversion to like ads because well I don't want to get into that. <laughs> but I did think you know what if people like uh, would what if there's a way we could you know off sell our stuff like uh, do another get another uh, batch of shirts printed and if people want to of course we do by the way we should mention uh, we'd still <laughs> we still owe people shirts and if we said we're going to get you a shirt we still we still probably are I think. I, 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 um, I bagged them I just have to get them to the post you did office bag now okay. yeah. you bagged them but you didn't tag them I, didn't, I bagged them but I haven't tagged them <laughs> <laughs> um, but no like, yeah like a store with um, I don't know shirts, stickers whatever uh, as a way to help us defray some of our costs in doing this podcast I don't know if people would be interested in that though but it's not like we have a, you know, a mass market podcast where like right. you're going to sell a bunch of crap. But it would be nice that if someone wanted something, they can they can order it and get it. That's uh, true because there are people for, for exactly. me to, <laughs> yeah, to get off my button. We definitely need to outsource the logistics <laughs> and shipping of that yes. operation. More than anything, I just want to yeah, exactly. I just want to outsource that portion of it. I mean, I, I don't. Already, I don't even care about making money off it. I just want to like I already, hey, here, I, just order it, and the, we don't we don't even make a profit on it. I already feel bad enough that we haven't sent those shirts out. And people didn't pay us anything for them. Imagine if people paid us for stuff and we still, you know. Oh, I know. That would drive me nuts. Yeah, that, that would probably <laughs> cause some some bigger backlash. But um, anyway, so so Scott says, I really want a button on my desk that plays the you can't do this in Salesforce quote. Uh, maybe it would say good day, sir, on it somewhere. I can't count the number of times it would be useful to have a button on my desk that says that quote. Oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> I think you can, you know what? You can make, I know you can get Amazon I don't. Okay, so this is this is actually a cool tip <clears throat> for people who don't know this. All right, you know these uh, Amazon. What do they call the buttons where you can push it? Like orders, the dash you, buttons. Yeah, dash buttons. Yeah, you can get dash buttons that trigger things in AWS. Yes. <laughs> so, so anyway, maybe can you get a can we get a dash button that just do they have speakers on them? No, no, no. no. Well, anyway, but they're the, they've got to make programmable. They do have. Yeah. Some, yeah, I think Amazon only has one on its list because I went looking and it was. I don't know what the pricing was, kind of crazy, but I'm sure somewhere out there you can find on the internet a one of those buttons that you can put a, you can record a sound yeah. onto, and then I guess the, I guess if you really wanted that quote, you could just ping Jeremy on Slack and he can get you the no the no file. the idea is we'll we'll have our logo printed on them and we'll preload them with the sound and then sell them, <laughs> and that's how we're going to get rich. <laughs> that would be that that would be like cathartic to be able to push that button, wouldn't it? 
Well, I know, but I know a lot of people. I, who I'd need one with like use. a few different buttons because there are different scenarios where I think I'd want to press that. Jer- Jeremy puts his clips to use, uh, like when it, when he compiles or says something to Salesforce, he gets a little Benioff woo. Yeah, and that's uh, true. I do. What, what are other stuff? I've what got those? well, yeah, I've got I've got like bash scripts, and when they finish deploying or whatever, I get a Benioff woo <laughs> to let me know it's done. <laughs> so I'm listening to Benioff all day when I'm in the office because <laughs> yeah. Or if the return code's not zero, I, I get the uh. Where is that one? Let's see. Uh, oh, what's going on here? My gosh. Hang on. I'm having some serious fails. I heard. Um, yeah, so that's if it, I think that's what, that's if it fails and if, it, if it's successful, I get this. <laughs> and I'll be sitting you know, in a coffee shop, you know, doing some build and that, I got these sounds going off and people are looking over like, what the heck is this guy doing? <laughs> Uh, Especially when it's you know like a, a two hour deployment, and by the time it's done, you've kind of forgotten what you're even doing, and it's it's startling. Yeah, <laughs> forget to turn my speakers down. <laughs> oh yeah, that's a great idea. So we'll noodle on that one. Ooh, noodle, noodle. All right. Uh, so the next one, um, I recognize his name because I think he left us a review recently, uh, and I recognize it because I butchered it really bad, and I'm going to do it again. Uh, <laughs> I think is how you pronounce it. Okay. That, that doesn't sound too bad. Yeah, I think I, I'm trying better this time yeah. <laughs> to try, try to do it justice. You kind of have to know, if it helps to know like what country slash language these are from, that, is that when, is it, would that be Indian? I don't know. I don't know. But even in India, there's so many different languages and accents. I mean, there's, I guess, a couple of major ones, but a lot of different uh, dialects and accents and things. So Yeah. All right. Sorry. Oh, crap. What'd you do, John? I said his name, and I don't think he gave us permission to say his name. So I'm going to hold the. Qu- I'm going to. I'm going to not say the question. Well, I, I'll just. I can go back and bleep that. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah. Editing. Right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> um. So so this is kind of involved, and I'm going to try to read it, but it's it's a little involved. I don't know if I should read it or paraphrase it, but essentially he has this data hierarchy. He's got a case, a child record, and a grandchild record. So he's got this hierarchy of three 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 objects. Okay. Um. Are they master detail like to, all to each other? I don't think you can do that, right? Or can you? He didn't specify if this hierarchy was was master child or anything. All, all he said was that um, his supervisors or his superiors asked him to kind of create these um, external ID fields for each one of these objects. And then it looks like the requirement is to kind of copy the external ID from the ultimate parent and bring that down to all the children. Well, you could just formula that. Well, so, so yes, it's possible to do that. It's, and and you, if these child records are many, if it's one to many, then you'll have to make sure that they're not unique. You won't be able to use a unique external ID. Um, and the only thing I think that gets you is indexing because you won't be able to use upserts with that because if you, obviously, if you're up, up trying to use an external ID for an upsert and it's got more than one value of the same external ID, then it's not going to work. Well, yes, yeah, if you, and also you, you'll have... You just have data problems if you have more than one right. value, right? Yeah. So, so at best, you know, specifying those fields that as, as external IDs will give you some indexing. So when you p- type in that number, you'll see the you know that top level record and the children record show up in your search results. So I, I can see some some merit to that. Um, he, I guess, he was trying to argue that there might that might not be the best way to do it. That it might cause some issues, and I don't really understand the full breadth of the requirements. Um, but he, I guess he did say that ultimately his his manager decided he was just going to implement it in Process Builder and copy all those field 
all that information down to those child fields. Yeah. Um, so the real question ends up being, um, how would you implement such a requirement using a domain model and something like FFLib, which I'm, I believe that's the Financial Force library. I, I don't have enough experience with the, the Financial Force thing to to say, but you know, like in a, in a domain model, so you basically you work with uh, aggregates. So, for example, your what was the top level case, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and so your aggregate would include case and all these related things, and the case would actually be your what's called your aggregate root. But you're working with all you're working with this object graph and memory, so. Um, if, you know, setting, uh, duplicating that, uh, the, the pair, like a top ID down to its children like that, it's actually, uh, in general, not a great practice. So it's not, it's not like domain-driven design or any of these other things have a solution for that thing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I guess if you wanted to do that, the way you do that is, since you've got the whole aggregate in memory, um, you could have like your your setter on 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 that I on that on that particular field would then. Um, called, you know, if you called that setter, set a value, and then it would, that setter would then call the child things, they would set their value using a setter, right? and then they would, it would would just keep cascading down. Right. And then when everything's done, then, you know, the transaction closes, there's, you know, um, just a handful of SQL statements that kind of automatically execute as as a part of the unit of work. But yeah, I mean, I I generally don't like the anytime you're storing the same data in multiple places. You know, you've got now you've got opportunities for those things to go out of sync. Um, this one doesn't bother me as bad because IDs like this are immutable, and hopefully, because you know it's the situation here where um, th- those IDs will never change once mm-hmm. you know once a record gets a gets one of these ID values, this external ID. That value will never change, so it doesn't bother me as much because you don't have you won't have as much opportunity to get you know corrupted data. Meaning, like a grandchild record says its ultimate parent is one two three, but it's really four five six because right. someone changed the grandparent's record at some point or then the value. Right. But you know these are the kind of things you have to do in Salesforce in order to get the behavior you want, which is when I type in the top level things ID, I want to see it and all any of its. Any of anything in that whole hierarchy of records, right? So, yeah, I mean, not a bad workaround. I mean, these are the kind of things that Salesforce admins do. <laughs> these yeah. weird hacks. And a lot of times, it, it's not so much a best practice for the data model or for program or anything like that. Sometimes these things are done simply for reporting reasons as well. Now, if this, the the right way to do this is if Salesforce had a search plugin API that you could implement search plugins that extend the functionality of search. Well, I, search wasn't even in here as a requirement. It was just something that I was saying that, you oh, know, by, well, by, by enabling okay. these as external IDs or, or somehow trying to, you know, create some kind of direct relationship with the grandchild to the ultimate parent, which I believe that's what it looks like it's trying to do. Um, you know, if you're doing it for reporting reasons, I can, I, I've seen that and I, I can understand that where you, you're reporting on the grandchild yeah. and it's a significant effort um, Time-wise, or to get the report to run, to have it try to you know do all these kind of you know joins, quote unquote joins, and reporting. Yeah. Um, so you would just kind of make sure that you have a trigger or right. or flow or something that would populate that record, and then it becomes you know a simple just kind of one step join up. That's a yeah, and again, so I I I thought what the use the first use case you mentioned was his use case. I, did he say what his use what the what the main use case is that's driving this need? No, there wasn't much detail on the use case or the, or the actual requirements, so it's kind of hard to kind of 
answer that from that perspective. But, you know, in, in terms of just talking about, you know, external IDs and trying to copy that down and, you know, if you had, if you say you had an external ID on a case, not talking about the Salesforce ID, but it has its own external ID right. mm-hmm. and it's unique and you wanted to copy all that down. The only thing I could think of you, that benefits you with that is, is searching because you get those index fields. Okay. And if you search for that one yeah. value, you get all those results. But yeah. I mean, a process builder or, or trigger, uh, that, that's that probably the way I would do it. Um, <clears throat> it'll be nice when hopefully one of these days, I mean, it's been 20 years, we still don't have it, but um, you can do you can do reports based on arbitrary joins and arbitrary SQL, basically. Like, um, I don't know, uh, show me accounts and contacts where the contact mailing state equals the account's billing state or something. You, you just can't do, there's no, you know, you can only join on Salesforce relationships. You can't join on anything else. And and, right. and then they're fixed. Like they, they just are what they are. And and that's why as much as there are some cool aspects of Salesforce reporting, it's it's it people you see people twisting their data uh, structures in into and their data model into into pretzels in order to get the reporting output they want. <laughs> right? The kind of reports they want. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, maybe that's that's a sign to get into wave then, right? Then you can really massage it the way you want it. I don't know. By the way, speaking of Wave, more more reports of extremely discounted Wave stuff. I actually asked, someone sent me some pricing they got on Wave, and I just I don't even know what to make of this really. Um, I don't really want to say the numbers because I don't know what they mean. But here's one that does make sense. So if you want, if you need additional, I guess you you're limited by how many data rows you can have. Um, but you've always been limited on how many data rows. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, do you know what the limit is? I don't. I'm guessing it's a hundred million because an additional hundred million is twenty four thousand dollars. Oh, okay. Which hundred hundred million? Yeah, that's which a lot is weird of because in, in the well in in the it's not that's the thing in the, in the world of big data that's not a big number at all, and to think and to to pay twenty four thousand dollars for that is it's uh it's good. Hey, if you can get it, more power to you. <laughs> um. Yeah. There's. Let's see. Analytics, so uh, under Wave. If you want five additional dynamic dashboards, six hundred dollars. Yeah, mm. no. All right. What else? Let's keep us going. Uh, we had some fun with the uh, Einstein Vision. Oh, you did you use it. So, yeah, so that, it's just a little. It's just a little uh, proof of concept app that that's out there. It's a uh, Einstein-Vision.HerokuApp.com. I'm I'm not even sure this has a GitHub associated. To it. I'm not sure where this came from. Or who built this? Um, but it's apparently using the kind of vision recognition from Einstein um, to kind of classify images. And so this is this is what's called computer vision. Yeah, it's been around for a while. There's plenty of things out there that do it. There's a lot of open source stuff. In fact, this is probably built on a lot of open source tools. Just like Wave was is built on open source stuff that Salesforce, you know, piece, glues together and then puts a badge on it and charges. Yeah, but the data data is important. Data for it to kind of analyze and and you know come up with some results is important. Um, as as someone in our Slack channel pointed out, when you stick the uh, Salesforce logo in there, it says balloons. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, don't, I didn't finish what I was saying though. So computer vision is is the ability to uh, you, well you have to train uh, you have to train the, the, the your algorithms, but right. yeah, you can just you can give it an image and it can t- basically tell you things about that image, and it's just purely based on you know, 
feeding it millions of records and and um, and they have to, but they have to be categorized, right? There's a, there's a term for this. I can't remember what it is, but for each each photo you give it, you have to tell it things about that photo, right? And so it starts to associate different things it sees with these things that you've told it, these uh, classifications you've you've given it, and so then it then it starts to learn. You showed a picture of a dog, and it's like, oh well, you showed me ten thousand pictures that had the tag dog on it, and so um, I learned that like there's this thing that when I see it, it's kind of okay, that's a dog, and so <laughs> so yeah, so they showed it what the Salesforce the the, the blue poo logo. <laughs> is that what you call it? Yeah. Lapooth? Yeah. And then, and then what well, did it say it, about it? So it said balloon. Uh, sometimes it, it'll say jellyfish. It kind of looks like um, if you had a bunch of blue balloons that were overlapping, that's yeah. kind of, you know, a jellyfish? Jellyfish was okay. one of them. Yeah. Um, it's it's definitely not optimized for facial recognition. So if you try to put people in it, um, it just kind of looks at their clothing and tries to figure out what, what kind of clothing. I think I stuck in a picture of Benioff and he had this kind of striped suit on in the picture. <clears> I think it's the more common one that he, that he has out there. And it said seatbelt. I, I put in a picture of you, and it said, uh, wannabe yuppie skater boy. Why did, well, here's why the funny did I say thing. that, John? <laughs> here's the funny thing. On, I, I put in a bunch of people in there. I was just, I even put you in there. Oh, God. I thought I was going to say deranged maniac or something. <clears throat> and I don't know if it's the color of our skin or what, but it, it, it kept wanting to, it kept prioritizing bandage, bandage at the top. It's racist. That's what it is. You no, the, I put myself in there. Do you remember the um, still called me the, a bandage. the Microsoft? It was some kind of AI or face. Was it Skype or one of these things that, um, they, uh, yeah, I think it was. I think it was some kind of Skype thing they did, but it was. It did not work on people with, with really dark skin, and oh, so really? it was like so. The, so the meme was that you know that that product was racist. <laughs> well, the watch. I think the watch had issues. Like if you had a tattoo, like it wouldn't read your heart rate right. Like if you have really hairy arms or you have some kind of tattoo on your arm, it wouldn't read it very well. I, you know, my watch has never read my heart rate that that well, and I think it's gotten worse. Hmm. It just. Yeah. Um, Heroku has one that that that's kind of built on the same technology, but more focused on brand. So it's this kind of Heroku brand recognition thing. So when you feed it logos or or pictures, it tries to see if it's a Heroku property, basically. So you you stick in the Heroku logo, and it accurately said 100. This is our logo. Yeah. Um. You, I grabbed a bunch of random images from their website, and it said this is uh, website content. Yeah. Um, so that was, that was pretty cool. So you can kind of see how, yeah, this really kind of generic open-ended Einstein vision thing that still needs quite a bit of training. And then you can see kind of a more, uh, one that's a little more trained for a specific context and how it performs. So it, it, it's looking like it's pretty good. I mean, it's doing stuff. It was fast. It wasn't slow. Uh, and it was kind of entertaining. Yeah, that's cool. <clears throat> it kind of reminds me of, um, and I, I don't know if this is computer vision or what this is, but like reverse image search, so you can plug a, a you can upload an image to, or, to Google, yeah, and then it tells you where that's used on the web. Yeah, should do that with our logo. Kind of useful. I think I put in our logo. I don't know what it said. It was nothing compelling though. Hmm. It certainly didn't recognize. It us. said, "Don't listen to these nerds. <laughs> don't waste your time." <clears throat> well, one thing I had a holdover from last week um, that I didn't get to talk about, uh, and is this uh, uh, this kind of tool that someone pointed us to. Uh, it's called Strike. Um, they called it a fiddler. I guess it's a fiddler. Um, and essentially what it does is it just gives you a little interface to mess around with the attributes of a lightning component. Um, they also are advertising their own open source lightning strike components, which offer a little bit more attributes to oh, kind so of you're control. Doing the, you're going to do the free ad, huh? I'm going to do the free ad. God, I told you not to do that, John. <laughs> No, but it's pretty cool. I like it. I I did use it on a couple of things just to kind of see, and it did it did improve my productivity a little bit. I'm I'm not trying to advertise, but a lot of times I 
I have to, I want to manipulate something and see what it's going to look like with the different attributes, say a button or an icon. Yep. Um, and unfortunately with Lightning, when you save, and we've all kind of been discussing this in the channel as well, is the, is, is the delay in getting seeing your results. And it's not just developers who are developing Lightning components who see that delay. It really has to do with the Salesforce cache and the metadata, which we've discussed before. Um, even people doing config changes will notice that it, you know, their changes just aren't showing up yet, and you have to refresh one or two times before you see it. So, you know, it's weird that that it's it's in it's non-deterministic how many times you have to refresh. I th- I think it's just one or two refreshes, but I don't. Yeah, but the fact that it's one or two, that's weird. Like, the, pro- the problem the problem happens is, and he, here here's what drives me crazy is that the errors don't always get reported back correctly. And I don't know if that's my IDE or if that's Salesforce or what, but sometimes I'll save something, think I updated it, I think I updated it, and I'll go and refresh like 100 times and it's not showing up. And then I'll go and save again and for some reason it, it succeeds or I, maybe I get an error that time and I fix it and then it starts to show up. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of why I started my little trick of, of a color. Um, but and, I don't know, I think this tool is kind of helpful because it pulls me out of it. I can test things and I'm, I'm less reliant on changing something, saving it, seeing what the results are. I can kind of fiddle with it here and, and try it out. Um, doesn't have everything. It's it's pretty light because it only focuses on Lightning components and their components. So it doesn't have, you know, some of the other components that are, that are not official Lightning components, but they're in the design system. Okay. So like processes or wizard buttons or things like that. Just They're just not in here. So... Um, I don't know. I thought it was pretty pretty interesting. I liked it. Hmm. Cool. Uh, Squid. Let's talk about Squid. Okay. Uh, they raised some money. Yep. They raised a lot of money. Um, they raised uh, $25 million. Uh, let's see. The title of this article from TechCrunch says, Chattanooga-based Squid raises $25 million for its codeless app development toolkit. Uh, so that's pretty cool. As, as uh, This is mainly, I think, to draw, help drive their their move off of the platform and onto kind of being this more standalone, um, I don't know, kind of platform for developing UIs. Right. And they can, they can target different platforms, right? Right. Yeah. Um, but there was there was a little bit of interesting news in that article with that. I guess it was some kind of interview um, where he kind of said that they were going to add voice activation to the user interface. Uh, I'll, I'll read what it said. It said... Uh, Garoth is already teasing Squid's next release, a voice-activated user interface that would integrate with technologies like Amazon, Amazon's Alexa, which I don't think we're allowed to say. It's supposed to be Amazon Echo <laughs> or Apple Siri to provide intelligence through voice commands. Uh, if you're trying to create an app, it would be like a Alexa- table here that shows me all of the opportunities and has a filter that shows... The- I'm reading his words. <laughs> well, just substitute something else. You're turning everyone's... A- thing on. <laughs> all right. Echo created a table here that shows me all of my opportunities and has a filter that shows them by quarters. So we're not just talking, I, I, I don't know if we're, I don't think the technology is on the front side, meaning users are going to be able to say, create a lead. I think this is on the back end side when you're maintaining stuff, we're able to say, I want a table of opportunities with these fields and it will just go out and build the model for you mm-hmm. and then add it to the screen. So, so it's, a, it's a design time, like developer time? That's what it sounds like. That's um, weird. Uh, maybe it's on both. Maybe it's on the design side and on the front end side. Uh, again, this is all just a kind of a tease that he mentioned in the interview of something. No, what? No future. bot. I can't. I don't have a bot that I can tell. I, I want a, a new data thing. And well, I whatever. guess technically Squid is becoming the bot that you How talk so? to. Do I get a bot interface? Do I get to chat with this bot. It's voice. No, ch- no, John. It, chatting. Type. You know. T- oh, chat. Oh, yeah. the chatting bot. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. I don't. I don't think you get a such a, That's bot. such a great interface to things. It's to have to chat with a bot. 
I didn't understand that. Can you please try again? <laughs> well, that's that's going to be the the crux here is that you know how well is it going to understand my voice? How long? How well is it going to understand my commands? Because that that I mean, even even with Siri, it, it gets a little frustrating. Or even with Echo, I I have to speak loudly, even though it's a few feet away from me. I have to kind of raise my voice to it. Well, that's because you you're a mumbler and you don't realize it, and so you have to like talk louder and more clearly than you think you do. Well, you 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 understand me just fine, and I mumble. Yeah, well, that's because I know how to interpret John speak. I've known you long enough. <laughs> <laughs> no, you do have to speak up for those. Eh, that makes sense, though. I guess. Um, this is a topic that I got from our Slack channel. I'm not going to say any. Yeah, hey, I was like, congratulations to the Squid guys on keeping the oh, lights yeah. on. <laughs> it's always nice to know there's some way that your paycheck's going to clear the bank. Yeah, that's true. It's always it's always good to get get an infusion of funds. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, which, which is kind of, I don't know, it's, it's kind of a darling success story for them, I guess. Because, I mean, they started out with, I believe the inception from what I heard was was they were building something for a client to build some kind of dynamic UI. They realized that they could make that a product, built the product out of it, and then just kind of went from there. And I think they also struggled with Lightning, you know, where's our place in Salesforce with Lightning and all these changes and things like that. And I guess that's where they kind of moved on to Yeah, to just keep in mind, you know, get, getting VC money is not a payday. It's you're having to take on you're having to give up more equity, right? Or or you're you know taking on debt or whatever. It's <clears throat> it, it keeps you going, but that's why a lot of companies don't want to take on VC, right? Yeah, but a lot of times it, it can kind of give you that push to well, yeah. To really, if you need to grow and you need to continue to invest to do that, then yeah. it's it's a tool. So exciting days! I look forward to seeing that activation stuff. Um, just ready to move on. Yeah, I, I do have one thing, and it's the thing we, if we want to get into this, just we were talking about earlier, like this whole idea of like billing for your waiting time, or what do you, what do people do for their waiting time? Oh, do yeah. we, you want to get into that? Yeah, let's, let's get into that. <clears throat> All right, so this is just something that you and I were kind of briefly talking about the other day. And it's like, you know, you've got, especially in the Salesforce world, where you are waiting for deployments, waiting for tests to run, there's a lot of waiting. And it's like, do you, I mean, it's, it's stuff that's got to be done. Right. It, it, right. I mean, this is, Technically, this is how value is achieved and delivered. But the but sometimes you think to yourself, well, gosh, you know, I'm I got to do this deployment. I kind of have to sit here and babysit it because if something, if I notice something fail, I might just be able to like cancel, go ahead and cancel that, fix it, and then redo it. But if but if I'm not monitoring it, and I just let it go, and I come back to you know, I look at it two hours later when it probably should be done by then. If, yeah, and the, the example we're using here is deployments, right? Yeah, I guess deployments yeah. is, is an example. Then you know, gosh, you just lost that two hours. So you kind of have to do babysit them, um, which means you are providing value here. So do you, you know, do, that's I guess we bill for that, right? But it's but then you kind of feel bad about billing for all this waiting time. And I mean, I'm in the same situation. But it's like this is I didn't pick Salesforce and I didn't design Salesforce. So it's it's you know the company or whoever the client is that that's picked Salesforce and they are paying us to do these things to, with it. And this is just part of what you have to do to get things done on sell, with Salesforce and a lot that involves a lot of waiting. And there's some things, now if there's something that doesn't need to be babysat, then uh, yeah, I'll go off and do something else and stop my timer. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but a lot of things just do require, I mean, you kind of you can't leave. You can't go out to dinner or whatever. You have to kind of sit there and make sure it's working because if something happens, you'll need to make an adjustment. Right. And that, that's, that's, the tough, that's the tough part. I mean, I, I think I... 
I don't remember how I brought it up. I remember bringing it up now because I, I remember us talking about it. And I think it was just because you was, were waiting on something. Well, I was waiting on something, but I was also kind of thinking in the back of my head, you know, I don't know how to account for my my day here. You know, I have sometimes while I'm waiting, I jump onto something else. So my timer's occupied on something else. But then I have this running in the background and I have to watch it. I can't move. Or if it's if we're talking to deployment, you know, I I'm after hours sitting at my desk, at, you know, just watching this thing go. Yep. And waiting for an error to show up or hopefully not show up. Um, and I guess my my question is because because you know I I asked you know who pays for it. I mean I I think I I try to balance it out. I try to split the time with the client. Like I'm like yeah I I, I had to babysit this thing. It was like four hours to get this yep. darn deployment to go through. Yep. I'm just going to log and two. It, you know, I think two and, hours is fair. Yeah. You know, there's about two hours of my time where I actually was actively invested in this. The other time I... But for those other two hours, were you really able to dedicate that to another project or another or another task or something? No, I I, I mean, if we're talking evening time, I'll go and grab some coffee because I know I'm going to be up late or, you know, I'll say goodnight to my kids or eat some dinner, you know, that kind of stuff yeah. and then come back to it and hopefully there's not a big red, you know, number staring at me. Yep. Um, but, but then that just means I have to start over. Right. And then the other question is, okay, I have I have an error, but my tests are only 50% done. Do I stop it? Do I let it go and, and catch maybe potentially other errors so I can try and get all this at once? Well, yep. that means I'm sitting here for another 30 minutes waiting for it to finish so that I can start it all over again. Right. Yeah, I mean, the, the reality is that someone's, someone's going to pay for that time. It's either going to be the client or it's going to be you. If you don't bill for that time, you're going to pay for it. Because you're losing that time. It's not, like I said, it's not like you can go out to dinner or go play with your kids in the backyard. You can't. You have to stay on top of this thing. Yeah, no, it's just, it's just a tough thing to balance in my head. I, I, you know, I yes, I'm here. I'm dedicated. It took me from if I if I did the actual clock time five o'clock to seven o'clock to to do this deployment. But I mean, well, I was, how, and how much of that were you actually coding? Like, you know, forty five seconds maybe if you had to like fix a, a yeah. test or you know maybe maybe a few minutes. But yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and this is—I mean, this is just where we are with a cloud software as a service platform like Salesforce. It's this, does, is, does this it, is the state of the of the industry here. But, and so, do we start letting that affect our estimates? Do we start putting in? You know, you don't know. We 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 built this thing. We know we're going to have to deploy it. So that means every deployment is padded by five hours because we have no idea how long it's going to take. Well, oh well, you, you're asking two different questions here. I mean, I think one question is like. Do, uh, who pays for it? Who pays for that time? Yeah. Another question is, is estimating how much time something's going to take. All right. And that's a, a whole other topic, I think. Well, I feel like estimating it kind of, I don't know, I think everyone kind of wants to know where they're going to be at at the end of the day, you know, once the project's done and what, what things are going to look at, um, look like price-wise. So I do think you have to, I mean, yeah, if you're developing and Salesforce is your platform, you've got to take into account all of its characteristics and and runtime behaviors and that because that's going to dramatically affect your your time. You know, you can't you're not just dropping a war file in. You are <laughs> It doesn't work that way. No. That's not to say that every deployment You can't do this with Salesforce. <laughs> it's not to say other systems run into deployment issues though. I mean, it happens, but I just think but in Salesforce again, there's there's no such thing as a known good build. You can't, right. you know, yeah. you can't Run all the tests and, and you know, and then push to master, and then know that your CI process is going to move that build into production. 
Yeah, it just it's doesn't not work like that we're running into outliers. Right. Like the system had a hiccup, or the internet went down, or S3 went down. Right. You know, we're, we're talking about just we know it's going to take an hour to run unit tests or two hours to run unit tests, and right. we know we're going to have to sit here and watch this thing. Uh, right. I can't and, run off and go and you know do something. I have to. I have to be near my computer. Right. And and we all know that you know there's things that you shouldn't do. Like you shouldn't have tests that depend on data in production. Right. Right. Um, but in many of these cases, you are one of many people, or maybe even one of many different consulting companies, or different contractors and things that have that work in this org, and so you don't have control over the quality or all this other stuff. And and just again, just because you could run all tests in in your sandbox, but when you go to deploy, if someone has changed the data in production, uh, that now is making tests fail, tests that you didn't even create, that you don't have really any control over. Um, then that can make your production deployment build. Even though you had what you thought was a good build. That's why I say there's there's yeah. really no, there's no such thing as a, a a blessed build in the Salesforce world. Well, there's no such thing as, like, as like, hey, we've, you know, we deployed this to our QA sandbox and all tests pass and you know, all of our manual and functional testing is good. We're good to go. No, you're not. No, you're not good to go. There's... You know, <laughs> Well, hopefully this will all get mitigated by DIs because aren't they supposed to give us kind of a scratch org that matches production that we're supposed to be able to kind of deploy and that should take care of that? Like it should be a little less less well, touching on it? I, I sure hope so, but I ran into things today that are... Um, uh, here's an example. Uh, let's see, what was this? This was um, in, in, a, in, a, in an org. I, I dumped all the metadata out of this org. A sandbox, it was a sandbox org and I pushed it to another sandbox org and it failed. Well, then I thought, well, that's weird. So I pushed it right back into the org it came from, and it failed. And the reason was because there was a object that uh-huh. had record types, and the message I'm getting is that you have not specified a default record type for all these profiles. There's like you know 50 profiles, and, and I and I so I logged in to Salesforce and looked at the profile, and sure enough, for this ob- for this object, it's got two record types, and neither was the default. And if you go in and mm. edit. Um, this is when you edit profiles, and you and you edit that basically that what record types are available for that profile. Right. You can't you you can't save it without selecting a default. Like, so the UI makes you set a default, which is the way that that's the constraint the system is supposed to have. You have to have a default. The UI doesn't make you, but no, I think, the UI does make you. I mean, the, the UI makes you, but I don't think the API does. So is it possible someone deployed? These record types, but never, but it the API does. That. I'm just telling you, it just did. It won't. It wouldn't let me deploy this, but. No, I mean, someone created those record types, not not necessarily in the what? dependencies. In what? I don't know, in, in whatever org you're deploying to. Okay. Go try to create a record type. And go, and, and go, go try to have a, um, yeah, go try to create a record type or create record types on an object and not set a default. It, it will not let you save. Not even not, through the metadata API? No, that, that, that was my problem. I couldn't deploy this, and that was the exact message I'm getting. Well, one thing I did, I did. I, I, so anyway, my point, let me finish this. Okay. This org is in a state that clearly is an invalid state. And you can dump the metadata out, and that metadata now is it's invalid metadata from the get-go. Is DX going to fix this? I would think so. I think they have to address the... Uh... <laughs> oh, you, you think they're gonna, they fixed the metadata API? They, I... <laughs> they've written their own metadata API. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, what I... happens when you deploy this metadata to your Scratch org? Uh... I mean, that, that could be a bug that put the system in an invalid state, but we, we also know that there's certain types of metadata that just don't lend themselves very well to, well, that's true. to deployments because they'll use some name or username specifically, and if that doesn't exist, then, then you have an issue. Yeah. 
Um, well, so, they, they're mixing metadata with data in that case. Right. So I got to think that they, they have to revamp the, the metadata API somewhat to, to accomplish this. And this is what I've said. This, this metadata model, the, the scalable, the world's most scalable metadata-driven platform, it's actually a, an extremely cumbersome and difficult model to work with. It, it creates these kind of problems. It, it creates the problem of there is no known good build. It, you know, and the, this, this deployment issues that it's like, how, how did this even get into the state? I mean, you can't, you can't deploy it. You can't do anything with it. So what I did was, anyway, in this case, is I just went and mass edited these profiles and gave them a default a record type for this object. And yeah, it was fine. It fixed it. Here's another fun one. Um, the idea object. Like ideas, right? Mm-hmm. The standard object, idea object in Salesforce. Every org, you know, like when you create a new org, it comes with two list views with the same name. It's like ideas last seven days. Every org comes with these. And this is something I deal with every time I get a new client or, or someone gets a new <laughs> org. They've got two list views with the exact same name and label and name. And so you can dump that metadata out and you can try to deploy it right back in. It fails. Duplicate list view name. Doesn't it have its own API name though? List views? Yeah, yeah, they, they have an API name. And those are, aren't... They're identical. Oh, wow. Yeah. So explain that to me. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's bad. <laughs> and I don't think that's a... I don't think that's a problem with the metadata API. I think that's a problem with the, you know, what, I don't know what system or subsystem, but it's, it's configured in an invalid state. Like something, you know, when you probably, like when an org is spun up, it probably is, it's got just some... What's well, like? Do you remember when they used Salesforce used to call it like you, they would dot an org? Especially, it's almost like they would freeze dry it, and they could just create a new org from that. And it didn't go through the metadata API. It's just like it went like to low level database tables and just populated them with this with this org. And I think that's how this that that's how this can get and that's how these things can happen. The, the metadata API did its job actually, mm-hmm. but it, you know, it's still a problem for people like us. Well, there's your positive. The metadata did its job. It did its job. <laughs> were you, you going to say something or tell a story or something about that? And I wanted to finish my thought. No, I was. I, I think I, I was just going to kind of relate a story where I had a similar situation, but it had to do with a record type getting created, but then getting removed. So it was created, it became the default, but then it got removed, and that left the system in some kind of invalid state where it we just couldn't assign the math. Oh, I think that's what it was. I think every it was some, something about master detail record type, but we removed all the record types. We didn't want record types anymore, and then that got the system stuck in the state where it wanted record types. Yeah. So <clears throat> I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but I mean, there's always going to be weird edge cases like that. It's just it's it's. I don't well, know. I just mean maybe maybe there was a default record type and someone deleted it. Yeah. And the system either there was no UI option enforcing it, or the system just didn't. I mean, default I, to something else, right? I guess it's it's a bug that the sales for that that, that the system lets someone put it in an invalid state. It shouldn't, you know what I mean? Which which I think we're kind of starting to see a little bit more of. I, I know there's certain things that um, so used to when you used to try to delete a field or something, you would get these notifications saying, "Hey, that there's a dependency on this." And you know, a lot of people kind of relied on that. I did. I mean, I would I would just kind of go and try to delete a field. Which, by the way, happens. that's going to be that's going to be my unqualified. Good thing about Salesforce, a compliment I'm going to give to Salesforce, the fact that they do take things like Apex and, see, I don't know if Workflow do this. I, I bet it does, though. I think it does. And they, you know, they statically analyze these things and they have, they're storing somewhere a dependency, yeah. you know, dependency graph. And so it knows statically for any given piece of, 
metadata, what depends on that? Now, obviously, you know, if you have like JavaScript crammed in some on-click JavaScript thing, it's not, that's uh, probably not going to be accounted for. So if, right. if you have an on-click JavaScript that depends on some field, you can probably still delete that field. But for like the vast majority of things, uh, this, you know, metadata items that, you know, it's going to statically analyze those and figure out what they, you know, what these depend on, which is nice. It is. It is when it works. It is when it works. When it works. So I'm gonna I'm gonna counter your positive with a negative in that. You're allowed to do that. I'm not. See, I it was (laughs) I brought it up so or it was my unqualified good thing. Yeah. So for me, I'm gonna say I like it. But you can And I don't know if this is a gap or a bug or or just just the fact that the technology is is like I'm I'm just gonna say technically a separate technology than everything, but like process builder, it it won't trigger the dependency check. So they're so they're not looking at process builders and figuring out what they de- oh you know what because I've I've seen process builders get broken yeah, because a field got to. removed well, got in and I've had to recreate the field so I can fix it and it's it, it there's other issues too along those that lines. really surprises me because workflow workflow does yeah of course you know or field updates and the, process builders actually they're technically flows of uh, a, a subtype of flow and and I don't I would assume flows are the same way a flow could depend on something and I think so yeah. yeah. Yeah, they'll probably fix that at some point. But yeah, you can get easily get yourself into a pickle with that, I guess. Another good reason not to edit crap in production. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get screwed. Well, that doesn't matter because you don't run unit tests on process builder stuff. No, you do. You do. You totally can create tests that test all your workflow, your processes, all that stuff. And you should. Well, tell me who's doing that. <laughs> you know what? You're looking at him. You're looking at that guy. Uh, but you know Rossi, what? I, but you, you know what? I you are right, listen. You, if you if you find often that bugs are getting into production, or like you just found this, right? Oh crap! Like at runtime, this process is failing because it's looking for a field that doesn't exist. That's a that's a, anytime you you let bugs get in production like that, that's a sign that you don't have test coverage on something. I mean, there's a reason why the pretty much accepted way to build software is with is accompanying was with accompanying tests. Yeah, testing is not just to achieve coverage. Although, I'm sure there's a lot of people that do that, and in systems that enforce code coverage, right? You see that. Yeah. But it's not just to achieve some coverage number. It's it's for so you have a regression checks. It's so that when you make a change to your system, you you do it with confidence. You make the change, and then you run your whole test suite, and you see if you broke anything, right? And if you don't have coverage for your processes, then you're not going to know you broke something. But if you do have coverage for your processes. You will find out that you broke it because your test will fail now, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't have to put a deployment into production that's broken. And what if it takes two hours to deploy to production? So now you're looking at, well, I got to figure out what the problem. I got to, I got to. The problem may not be a, the cause of the issue may not be apparent. So first, you've got your time in fixing that. Then you've got your deployment time. It could be hours before you can get a build back in production that fixes this. True. Meanwhile, either your users are hitting this thing and stuff's crapping out everywhere, or you're or you're creating corrupt data. So, yeah, that that's a tip of the day, folks. <laughs> Test coverage for your processes. Second tip of the day. Uh, First tip of the day was don't edit crap in production. Well, it's a nice idea. I I doubt it's going to happen because I think the majority of process builder users and flow users are not developers, and I don't know how you would test it unless or write a unit test unless you're a developer. Uh, your AI your AI will write your test for you, right? Didn't uh, we already? Didn't we Einstein will do it. Yeah, Einstein's yeah, okay. going to do that. All right. Well. Let Einstein do it then. Right. <laughs> I do. I have that as a topic, by the way. You know, Microsoft, they have this um, AI that can write code now. 
Yeah. Did you see that? So much for for encouraging STEM and and everyone to go into technology and be programmers and Well, that's what I've been saying for years now. All like, the all the what what do they call those coding workshops that Salesforce does at Dreamforce with the kids and everything? Uh, yeah, why are you teaching kids to yeah. code? Why are you why are you it's, telling people to why are you telling women and all these, you know, whatever <laughs> these different groups to go into STEM when number one, you're already outsourcing tons of the jobs or you're insourcing or whatever, you know, all these you know and, and now you're you're you know we've gonna we have AI that's supposed to gonna do all this work. So why yeah. would someone go into STEM? I don't know. It's kind of dicey. <laughs> <laughs> we just gotta hope the machines fail so that we still like, have jobs. <laughs> the things you are saying don't make sense. Uh, no, I, I still think there's gonna be a fair amount of human intervention, but uh, yeah. Well, we certainly hope so. If not, you better be hoping for that basic. What do they call it? The basic income that's getting more popular now. Because <laughs> no one's gonna have no one's gonna have jobs. Like uh, they took you know the all the the manufacturing jobs those are gone, and now all the knowledge jobs are gonna be gone. Service jobs are gonna be gone because now you just you're gonna you know you're gonna have a bot. Well, yeah. you don't have to have some, a person staff that support light anymore. Just bots, and it'll be it'll be vo- you know voice bots too or whatever you know just. Yeah, because because yeah. people really want to talk to machines or so. Or what jobs are going to be left? The, the the telecom industry already proved that people don't want to talk to machines. That's because the machines weren't any good. What about what happens when the machines get good? I don't know. When they outsourced uh, even people to to other countries, people didn't like it either. They wanted uh, companies now are even advertising. We have local people right. here, right right next yeah. door to you. Help here to answer your call and help. And and that's because I know I I feel like I always have to clarify this. That's because when all these companies that that were short sighted, and they thought they were gonna you know out, offshore to save a bunch of money, they because that was their only goal saving money, they didn't offshore to a place that was um, maybe had a, a a cost advantage plus you know. You could get the you know good people. They just went for the cheapest people in the cheapest place. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you can't do both of those. If you're if you just get the cheapest people you can find in the world, well, they're you know you get what you pay for. I mean, there are places that are what are they called like the 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 market the oh, there's there's some term for this where they're like areas of the world that are lower cost that they're just you don't have you don't you know the wages are less or mm-hmm. whatever. I don't know. There's the cost of that. living. Yeah, cost of living's less. All that the whole thing, but. But yeah, within that though, there are you know you've got your whole bell curve of the great people, the the people that are pretty pretty good, and then, then the bad people. Well, if you're just going for the cheapest, no matter where it is, you're just going to be getting the the mediocre people. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. All right. So uh, people value service. They they value talking to a pe- to a person. I guess so. But what about when this? What about? Well, look at what's the show? What's the HBO show? Um, Westworld. I haven't seen it yet. Westworld. So this is. I mean, this is where the the. They're droids, and they're so good. You can't tell they're not people. They're not. You can't tell they're not humans. I mean, the guy falls in love with one of them. Well, I, I guess if if it's if you, if you don't know, then I and you get the same experience, and that's great. Exactly. But I don't. I don't think people want to be arguing with a with a bot trying to get it right. to respond correctly. So anyway, this you know Microsoft thing is called Deep Coder, and they it uses a something called program synthesis to cut up code from existing software and repurpose it to create new programs. I'm like, wait, wait a minute! Isn't that just isn't that how most coders work nowadays? They just go to Stack Overflow and <laughs> copy and paste until until it works. Well, that apparent. Well, that just proves it works exactly. <laughs> so, so why not let the AI do it too? Right. Uh, it can search more thoroughly and more widely for code than a human can. Scours databases and source code sites like GitHub and Stack Overflow for interesting and useful code fragments. 
magnitudes faster than even the best $180,000 a year human coder can. And it could piece together source code in a way that humans might not have thought of. Hmm. It can trial thousands of different combinations and create working programs. Um, <laughs> albeit the fact that most of these programs that it's writing right now are five lines long. That's like where the state of this thing is, right? It can write a five-line program. Um, yeah. You know, the thing is, though, about... I, I wonder how this works because you still need to, you need to tell the thing... What you want it, what you want to have done, right? Yeah. And and the tough thing about software is, it turns out it's it's not actually it's not the clickety clackities, right? Right. It's actually figuring out with really rigorous detail what the software should do, and and having a shared understanding of that amongst the all the stakeholders of of the project, right? That's that's the, one of the biggest things is, is people think. People think they want the same thing on the project. Everyone thinks that they have the same understanding of what this thing should do. Right. And of course, it's only through building it. Of course, this is this is the whole this is the argument for agile software development. It's only through building and seeing it start to form that you really realize that people had did not have a hunt a pure shared understanding of the thing. Like they ha- they all had a little bit of a different idea, or, or maybe they had a majorly different idea. Right. So that's the that's the kicker with software. Like you really have to specify and you'd have to tell this thing really in really like excruciating detail what is what this thing should do what's the right behavior and but again getting all the people on the project to agree what that is like for the business like what's the mm-hmm. right thing for the business that's the hard part right <laughs> but but if if you can solve that again which is the hard part the hard part's not the clickety clack it's figuring out exactly what this thing should do um well that and the the, the I don't know how to say this but the requirements that kind of are almost recursive, like one depends on another or they conflict. Sure. And if you do this, then it conflicts with that. And then how do you right. solve for that? I mean, the, the thing is that what still matters is, is what the humans want the software to do. That's the thing that really matters. Well, the other thing is, is when, it, when it comes to AI and programming, uh, I think we all do this when we develop something. There's a certain level of acceptable risk that we live with. You know, we, we don't, you might not test something 100% or you might not build out every scenario that could ever happen in your code. You just kind of build for the things that you feel are probable. So there's a, there's a certain amount of acceptable risk. Or even when you're calculating formulas or, or making decisions, there's a, there's a certain amount of gray area. Yeah, it's like uh, doing cu- currency math with a uh, floating point. <laughs> <laughs> might not get the exact right answer. <laughs> <clears throat> so I, I don't know. I, I think that that's going to, Weigh in on on the whole how how effective it can be. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, if you have to specify it in excruciating excruciating detail anyway, then you know what you know what that's called. Yeah, that's called programming. <laughs> that's what some people say. You know, pro, uh, the the source code itself that is that is actually the specification for the software. When people talk about oh this you know stack of documents that's the, that's the spec. No, it's not. That spec's not near good enough. The actual specification of the software is the is the code mm-hmm. that makes up the software. That's the best. That's the most truthful specification of the software. Right now, I do think it's. I think I think it'll be interesting to see what tasks that you know some of these AI things can do for us. Like already, I mean, look at modern IDEs with with a good language, a good, especially particularly a static language. Um, it's amazing what these things can do. The code they can write. For, I mean, watch it. Watch a, like a good C sharp or Java programmer that knows how to use their ID really well. Mm-hmm. I mean, they are not writing most of that code. It's literally being written for them. 
so much of it's written for them. Especially all the the angle brackets and the and the curlies and all this stuff. I mean, it's you know you've got these little shortcut keys and things mm-hmm. are filling in code for you, right? Right. Um, I, I I envision something where you actually can plug in some AI into that. So right now you still kind of you still tell the IDE and between you telling it and it knowing the construct of like the the language mm-hmm. and like all the interfaces that are that are that are on its class path or available to it or whatever. Like it it kind of knows what to do. But um, it'll be interesting when it, you can somehow give it a command that's like, um, I don't know, like query this database and give me the res- or, or whatever. And it can actually just, it, it's like kind of taking it to the next level. It's like, oh, I think I can figure that out. It goes to, you know, it's, it's because it's got this, you know, it's database of GitHub and all this stuff. It, it can go like, or, you know, it can go get that for you or, or it, can, it can get similar software and then adapt it to what you're trying to do. So yeah. I, I see it, I see it helping with tasks and things, but I mean, we think about it, and there's there's studies that have been done on this. But you know, good programmers I mean, they spend a a fairly small fraction of their time on actually programming. We spend most of our time on again the problem figuring solving. out what it should yeah. exactly figuring out what it should what it should do and and resolving all these conflicts and things that really I mean it just I don't know it's it's hard to imagine. I can imagine AI being able to write code and and do things like that, right? You know. Get stuff from Stack Overflow and GitHub, but it can't solve these problems that we still, you know, that that's really that's 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 the hard part about programming. Yeah, so I mean, you're you're almost essentially describing a process builder interface, and but it actually will write code. Yeah, I mean, I can see it writing like you know, I don't know, I call them subroutines. Like, I need a, um, I don't know, a, a database connection pool or something like mm-hmm. that. Kind of a lot of that boilerplate stuff. I think it. I yeah, because right now you're kind of just plugging together different modules with a kind of um, input-output and expected input-output with each one of those bubbles that you would drag on the screen. But this would be far more expressive. It'd just kind of be almost like a mind map and it would take that mind map and go, oh, I'm going to write a program around yeah. this. Yeah, and I don't, I don't think the process builder analogy holds because with process builder, you're still actually having to tell it and it and I think in pretty. Well, that's pretty, what I mean. I mean, each one of those things you drag has has a specific input and output. So it's it's a very it's a it's a kind of self contained machine. I mean, the only thing you're not having to do. That's why I tell people who are like who are interested in process builder and are pretty good at it. Like, you might want to actually just learn the syntax of Apex because if you can do that in process builder, like, I mean, you're kind of coding. That's that's yeah. kind of coding. You're just not having to do the angle brackets, right? Or the you know the curly brackets and stuff. Yeah, I think that's why I wanted to transition my analogy to more of a kind of a, kind of like a mind map type. Thing where you're just trying to map out all these different things and it would kind of go through and, and make that up. But one thing I haven't heard a lot about of is um, AI and compilers. I mean, I haven't heard much on that. I mean, maybe our maybe our syntax gets much more simpler. And <laughs> Well, there's a, well, then what? Then Apex? No, are, I, are just mean, I just gen- mean the just syntax generally. in general, you know, and there are languages out there that, that do kind of reduce the amount of right. punctuations yeah, and things that yeah. you would put into it, but... Domain-specific languages? Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. It'll be interesting. I, I um, yeah, I, I think it's safe to say I'm not I'm not. I mean, worried. we live in a world of VMs now and everything. I'm surely they could benefit right. from some AI. I'll start getting worried when my refrigerator can actually order the milk for me. <laughs> or when you go to the grocery store and you just, you pull up your list that's your, your refrigerator just generated real time. Like when it, you know, and that's much simpler than having a computer write a program for you. Yeah, uh, it's just looking. And we, you know, we have that technology today, right? We have we have uh, computer vision. We just talked about that. There's no yeah. reason why a fridge couldn't look at what's in your fridge, and it can tell well, what those things are. It can look at what's front facing. 
That's true, yeah. <laughs> Unless it had like one of those weird, creepy uh, kind of snake-like oh, cameras yeah. that would like kind of go in and just Ooh, worm its way through everything. That's creepy. And it like digs into your cake accidentally and... Well, okay, so I have a similar thing, which was, uh, there was an, 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 I think someone just posted this on Slack channel earlier. I'd already been reading it, though, but it's, a, it's an article in Inc. magazine as an INC. Um, it's about replacing workers, you know, AI replacing workers. And it's specifically, they were talking about Einstein. Um, so let's see. If, if Einstein is anywhere near as useful as Salesforce claims, the technology will supplant human workers, maybe a lot of them. Salesforce wants to make sales and marketing more efficient, which means that fewer people will be needed to accomplish the same tasks. Of course, they call out sales and marketing, but we all know it's, it's not limited to that at all. I mean, look at what Peter Coffey's saying. He's warning us. You guys need to figure out something else to do. You coders. Yeah. You know, we got clicks, not code. We got draggy droppy. And pretty soon, the AI's going to do the draggy droppy for you. So all you draggy droppy guys... Well, maybe, you know, maybe that's our syntax changing. Maybe we won't be typing anymore. We'll be drag and dropping, and we'll, we'll just transition over no, you to won't, that. You won't even have to drag and drop anymore. I'm just, no, there'll be a transition period. Yeah. You can kind of drag and drop, which so means maybe we'll become no, because we're 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 probably too expensive. <laughs> so, and, and remember from the last episode, I talked about how a lot of these CEOs and people who are championing this uh, you know, AI stuff, <clears throat> they're using this. They're they're very very clear to point out that we're only augmenting humans, right? Which is a tell. Anytime they say that, what they're what they're absolutely saying is we are replacing people. But they know that's the political hot button here. So they're, again, we, Benioff is a master that we've always talked about this. He gets out in front of political issues so that he, he has inoculated himself, he's vaccinated himself against any, any attack from that angle, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's what these guys are doing. They're, they're vaccinating themselves against a possible attack of, of, of um, hey, you're replacing people because that's, that's you know, obviously there's going to be a backlash against that. Mm -hmm. And so, oh, they're, they're, they're just getting out there in front and, and before anyone says anything, and they're, they're telling the story that we're just augmenting, we're just augmenting. But this person went back, actually did a little bit of homework, and pulled up a Mark Benioff quote from like a long time ago, I guess. He says, the, one, the only constant in the technology industry is change. Uh, automation has hit factory workers hard, and soon members of the information economy will feel the same pain. The deadline may arrive before knowledge work before most knowledge workers or the societies they occupy are prepared. Well, it's a good thing he's worth five billion. He doesn't have to worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Some okay. So some levels of customization are designed to be leveraged by non-technical users. "Quote: I can create a lead management process with clicks, not code," says Stephanie Buscemi. So already we know. We don't need any coders because who, yeah, who needs tests for any of those? So we just talked about that, right? But this well, is this I, is I, cowboy coding all over again. <laughs> Maybe, but I, it's it's a it's a tool, and in the right hands, I've seen some people do some pretty creative stuff and stuff that wasn't all that bad. In the wrong hands, I've seen some people do some really ugly stuff. Right, but yeah, it, so it that's is the a same tool. with programming, right? It's yeah. no different. Yeah. Uh, today's productivity gains are tomorrow's layoffs. It's not that productivity gains are bad. Rather, increased efficiency simply means that fewer inputs produce greater outputs. As it stands, labor is among the most significant inputs for, major for a majority of businesses. The acceleration of what AI can do is poised to multiply the impact of individual human workers while obsoleting others. I just think, uh, I wonder what's going to happen when they try to get AI to write Apex code. I wonder if the AI will go on strike. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, this is this is gonna be the this is the controversy of AI. Yeah. No, 
Uh, we'll, we'll just, I used to think we'll that, I used to think you know this whole basic income. I'm like, ah, these are just like socialists, you know. That but now I'm like, I don't know. I, I can actually envision a you know a scenario in my lifetime when this is actually a problem, and you've hollowed out the the workforce and the economy. What do you think, John? Yeah, yeah. I'll see it when I believe it. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, yeah, that's probably not going to happen in my lifetime. I'm going to let my kids worry about that. <laughs> uh, hopefully I'm retired by then. <clears throat> uh, do you know uh, this guy, George Who? He's worked at Salesforce forever. He's like a, you know, COO or, or something like that. Yeah, sounds familiar. Yeah, so he, he, now I think he's been on some kind of, you know, sabbatical or whatever, but he, you know, uh, I guess it's been announced that he's now going to Twilio. What is Twilio? That sounds familiar. What is Twilio? Yeah. It's the, it's like an API for texting and, yeah. Texting and phone stuff. I mean, Salesforce. Apps that communicate Salesforce with everyone in the, the world, voice and video, yeah. messaging and authentication APIs for every application. Yeah. So for example, Salesforce is, they have a relatively, you new. Know, it's a lightning thing. It's a, it's basically like a CTI dialer kind of. It's, you know what it's like? It's it's like one of these CTI dollars, but as if it was smashed up with Google Voice. So you get you 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 get a number, a new phone number. So Salesforce gives you a phone number, mm-hmm. and uh, any you basically like anywhere in Salesforce now, all all of your phone numbers are hyperlinked. You can click on them and and call them. So it's like this little soft phone pops up, and it can um, when calls come in, it it you get a, like a you know the screen the typical CTI screen pop. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, this guy's calling you. But it's also ringing. You can have it simultaneously ring like your cell phone. So you can actually answer it on, your, on any, any other phone. But anyway, oh, that's all under the hood is driven by Twilio, I believe. Salesforce uses Twilio for that. Oh. Yep. It's funny because when it, whenever it mentioned the uh, messaging and authentication APIs for everyone, that reminded me of app.net. Do you remember that? Yeah, the Twitter that, replacement, right? The Twitter that's, alternative. That's what they were supposed to do. I, so I was like, oh, I haven't seen that in a while. So I just... Just went and looked at it. They closed it's it down, right? Shutting down today. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I remember they made that announcement. I even pay, I paid fifty bucks for that. I did too. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was like. The last oh, time I haven't heard about that. The last time I do that. Uh, I think a lot of people were just so um, irritated with Twitter that people were paying to reserve. What was it? You had to re, you had to pay to reserve your username or something. Well, you you paid to get early access to it, but yeah, you also got kind of first dibs at the username. And I I, I, I got to be honest, that was kind of a driving factor for me. Was I yeah. really wanted my username? Right. <laughs> uh, but uh, oh, <laughs> did you see that Salesforce for pot? Uh, Salesforce yeah, has made I read it. The article I didn't know. It's really, not the yeah. it's not the Uberization of the world anymore. It's, it's the Salesforce Salesforceization. But they didn't. I didn't. I never got how. I got, how is this the Salesforce of? Pot? Yeah, and when I first read it, it, it really wasn't anything compelling because it's a it's a scalable metadata platform for pot. I mean, no. what is it? You know, it's just it. I think it's going to be some kind of CRM product. But it it has a little more value add to the industry, and that it's supposed to help uh, flag for regular regulation issues, you know, with customers because some states, you know, it's it's only legal for medicinal purposes, and other states, it's it's I guess it's full legal. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just, I just thought it was funny, Salesforce for pot. But I don't think I've ever heard that term used before. As you know, as as you know, every time we get a disruption in the industry, someone's like, "Oh, that's Uber for yeah. for this," or you know. Well, because they didn't describe how it's a Salesforce for a pot, and they actually never mentioned Salesforce.com. I know. I, I I'm saw thinking that. maybe they just mean it's a a Salesforce for pot. That's what I thought, but then but then I looked at the technology and things that they were trying to do because okay. it was it was going to do some some analytics. It was going to do some 
I don't know, some customer stuff, um, uh, kind of campaign management type stuff and all that. So I was like, okay, maybe that's what they, what they meant. I, I looked up the, the person that wrote the article and she did do this once time, one time before when I, apparently she worked at Wall Street Journal before doing TechCrunch or maybe she's just freelance. Uh, but she said, Good Eggs launches a Salesforce.com for farmers. And that was a Wall Street article, Wall Street Journal article. So then that one, she says Salesforce.com, but here she says Salesforce, but Salesforce kind of has lost the .com in a lot of these tech articles. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Hmm. Moving on. Yeah. I just thought it was funny. Salesforce for pot. Yeah. Um, so Synergy Research, they've been, they do, been doing these like, uh, I guess it's, you know, it's mainly SaaS. They, they, you know, these this research on SaaS, and they're they're comparing. Basically, they're monitoring the growth. And we talked about them before, but they their new Q, you know, the I guess Q four two thousand sixteen, the so last year um, uh, numbers on enterprise SaaS. So, I guess so. so enterprise SaaS grew a whopping thirty two percent year over year. And for the third successive quarter, Microsoft was the clear leader in over. Uh, in overall enterprise SaaS, having overtaken longtime market leader Salesforce. And they're attributing this to the adoption of Office 365 as the biggest component. Obviously, there's hmm. it also includes Azure. Right. But yeah, Office being the big one. Uh, among the major SaaS vendors with, uh, with the highest growth rates were Oracle and Google. Thanks to, uh, for Google, it was uh, a big push for their, you know, their G Suite. Major growth there, I guess. You know, Google's finally getting serious about enterprise. I mean, for the longest time, they just, you know, they, they, their attitude was they, they put a product out there and you can sign up for it and buy it if you want, put your credit card in and buy it. But that doesn't really cut it for enterprise. They need, you know, they need to go out to dinner. Yeah. Right? They want to negotiate. They want to have a relationship. And Google just wasn't interested in that for the longest time. But that is really changing. Well, that's because they're making hand over fist on advertising. I guess so. But uh, yeah, I'm looking at this. The, the big, if you look at enterprise, I guess enterprise SaaS, still the, the biggest piece of that pie is ERP. Then collaboration. And then, uh, no, you know what? Then other, other apps of so the other category is pretty big. And then HR slash uh, HCM, which is human capital management. And then CRM is the smallest ones. And CRM is Salesforce, Microsoft, Zendesk. Those are the biggest. It's weird. Zendesk? I guess that's kind of CRM in a way. Support, support-ish type stuff. Yeah. It's a competitive market. All right. What else? Um... Oracle, Oracle had earnings today, just uh, like as we started recording. Really? Yeah. Um, they beat on EPS, but they they missed on revenue a little bit by sixty million, I think. Um, but nine point two billion of, of revenue for the quarter. They're uh, they're up in tra- uh, after hours, like three percent, I think. Did they do an investor call? They did. Um, I don't have a. I didn't haven't. I don't even know if it's posted yet. It's not available. But uh, let's see. I'm curious to hear um, what their AI is doing. That's they gotta, didn't. That's got to be the hot topic. No, right? they, they even talk about it. But uh, here, here's a <laughs> this is my favorite part. Over this is Ella, uh, no, this is Mark Hurd. 
Over the last year, we sold more new SaaS and PaaS than Salesforce.com, and we're growing more than three times faster. Uh, if these trends, con trends continue, where we are selling more SaaS and PaaS in absolute dollars and growing directly faster, it's just a matter of time when we can catch and pass Salesforce in total cloud revenue. So I guess they missed the first to 10 billion. They did. They were going to try to catch Salesforce. Yeah. They missed that. They are, uh, yeah, their SaaS is still growing at like 70, 80% uh, year over year. But the, cl the, yeah, the cloud is, uh, see, where's cloud revenue? Cloud revenue was like, uh, missed, I can't find the total. Or the annualized. I think it's like 5 billion, 5.9 5 billion, something like that. Yeah, they've reached the 5 billion mark. And our SaaS and PaaS business grew at an astonishing rate of 85%. Run fast. Wow. And it's uh, profitable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Oracle, man, they just... They, maybe it's just easier to convert a, a on-premise license to a cloud license. I mean, Salesforce is having to go out and find this new right. business. Whereas, yeah, Oracle's got just this... I mean, their, their existing enterprise customer list is just much bigger than Salesforce's. Yeah. So... And yeah, when you... You know, and I'm sure they're doing your, their typical, you know, enterprise tactics of bullying... Their customers in. I just. I, well, it doesn't necessarily have to be bullying. I mean, it. It. it, it they can be oh, painting the picture of an yeah. easier transition because they're already using these technologies. Those technologies are still applicable in this cloud environment that they're moving them to, and they don't have to lose all the. They don't have to code in Apex. You can, yeah. <laughs> you know, call it bullying or, or whatever you, term you want to use for it. I mean, I was talking to someone. Uh, just I won't say when because I don't want to narrow it down too much. But very recently. And they were telling me the story of their Salesforce renewals. So I guess they're renew. I don't, I don't know if they. I can't remember if they were on a, like a three-year contract or whatever. But it was up for renewal. And you know, I guess this was the first time ever they'd experienced the mandatory uh, minimum seven percent increase. So you know, take just whatever service you have, and it's going to go up seven. Where it's, it's a standard pr procedure now. It's seven percent every time. You every time you renew. But they'll, <laughs> if you're willing to buy more stuff then they're willing to waive that to some degree. And I think you had to buy like at least you know, 20 or 30% more stuff. If you did that, then they would not increase your rates. Hmm. But then, you know, this is just, this is, you know, Salesforce is uh, an enterprise software company now and they've filled the place with Oracle goons as we've covered in the past many times. And this is this, that, just the same strategy. And what's weird is like, I'll, it'll be interesting to see if Oracle can make that happen in cloud. It's, it's weird. That's, you know, that's kind of one of my cloud tests yeah. If I have to do anything more than put a credit card in, th then something's wrong here. And if I've got people calling me saying, uh, "Yeah, if you know, we see that you're using our, you know, our Amazon RDS database, um, gee, it should sure be bad if we. It'd be horrible, wouldn't it, if we raised your rates on that? Well, I'll tell you what, you know, if you buy, you know, if you buy some Redshift, we uh, we <laughs> we want to increase your RDS rates. It's like what? That that that's crazy. That's not cloud. That's not how cloud works. Got to go for that upsell, though. I guess so. Or just put it out there and let people use what they want to use and bill them for what they use. But you can't get that perfect beat and raise, beat and raise, beat and raise. And that, that, that line graph that's just absolutely perfect that Salesforce has if you don't lock people into three-year contracts. Yeah, but there's also this, the, the, the platform growing and adding new features and things like that. It's becoming more valuable over time. It's not like it's just a stagnant system and they're just arbitrarily raising you know, the, the cost of it. Yeah. 
Now, it would be better if some of these things that they said everyone got did actually get, like Einstein, but... Well, some you do but get there are some things, There are things, things. That, that are, like, new, like 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 you were saying, Wave is coming down and things like that, and, and there, there are features of Wave that are probably kind of baked into things already. And right. So, I mean, these technologies, even though they cost up front, it seems like the trend is that they start to integrate more, and, and you know, they're less of a of a separate cost. Yeah. Like, I think communities get some Einstein stuff for free. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the sales, we, I think we talked about this last week, the sales cloud, Einstein, you know, it's, a lot, most of the stuff has fees associated with it. I think when they say all of our customers now have this, it means they're, all of our customers have this available to them now, is what right. that really means. Yeah, but words matter sometimes. Words do matter. <laughs> uh, so I read something, uh, if, if we want to move on from uh, Mr. Bob Buzzard, Keir Bowden, he had a blog post, and it wasn't until the third headline that I realized uh, he might be talking about me. Uh-oh. <laughs> the title of this article is How Rogue High Performers Hurt Your Culture. Uh-oh. Um, <laughs> so so one, one, of, one of the titles, uh, one, of the, one of the things is that nobody else is good enough. They're the bottleneck. That no one else is good enough to do this. They have to be the one to touch it. They have to, they have to be the one that, that reviews this and gets it mm, through. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Here, here's the one that I think you might be talking about me. There is one true way. Rogue high performers know the right way to do things. This may, uh, I'm going I'm to paraphrase it, but basically saying that it's, it's my way or you don't do it. So is he, is he, is he saying that these people are, these are actually fallacies? Is that his point? That, yeah, that, that, yeah. That's not one true way. And that like, if you are setting yourself up as the bottleneck, then you're probably not, that's really not the best way for you to do your job. Yeah, I mean, he's got a number of headlines here, and then he kind of talks about each one in, in, in a couple of paragraphs, kind of defining the, these kind of um, high-level, I don't know, bullet points. Yeah. Um, but essentially, he's telling the story of someone who's who's kind of gained a certain amount of, I don't know, notoriety, but they've come to, to a level in their career where they have a lot of experience, they have a lot of things that they know, they've become really critical to projects because of their experience or just because of their ability to kind of talk to clients and things. And then sometimes those person, th- those people kind of, tip over to on the other side of the edge where they become a detriment and not so much as a valuable asset. Either their work starts to decline, maybe they feel like they're they're way too valuable and they really start kind of pushing back on things or or maybe they, you know, like in this case, they become bottlenecks where everything has to go through them because they feel like they're the only ones that can do it right and they have to make sure everyone's doing it the way the way they think that, it should be done. That's such a major anti-pattern, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, and it, I feel like every time I've seen a person like that in an organization, like everyone pretty much knows it. But this person, it's usually someone who is like insecure, right? They don't think anyone else can do this or they don't want anyone else to. And it's, it's, it's secret how this works. Yeah. Um, there's also a concept in here of, of they can break the rules. Like they'll enforce all these rules. They'll, they'll do a code review or something and they'll be like, nope, it's got to have 100% coverage no matter what. I don't care if you have to put an extra line in there to trigger a... a a general exception or right. something, but yet you know they might make the, an exception for their own code. You know yeah. their own code doesn't have to have one hundred percent coverage. Their own code doesn't have to you know follow these these patterns or these you know whatever is the established uh, paradigm. Yep. Um, he also goes on to say that they can be really difficult to work with, and that's to your point. I mean they they gotten to the point where just no one wants to work with them. Yeah. And I think it's I think is this is this also also the type of person that they. They're they're too concerned. Their their paranoia about protecting their own job actually turns them into a, a liability for the for the company, for the organization. I think they're. I think these these it increases your bus like your bus factor is a huge problem. I mean, if this person gets hit by a bus, 
the whole organization is now screwed because no one knows how to do this. No one can do it. It's been shrouded in, you know, mystery and, and under the perception that, you know, no one has, even has the capability to do this. So don't, you know, they'll just screw it up. Don't let anyone touch this, right? Yeah. And now you've got, you know, a big problem. Yeah. I don't think that's like you. Do you? <laughs> I certainly like the way I do it. Like, I mean, most of the projects I work on, I've got to set up. So I have to just check out from GitHub and hit one button and you're deploying. You know, it's, and they've got, you know, I think we talked about that before. So I, right? I think on certain projects, I might be considered the high performer. I might be considered the guy that, who, who kind of is known for getting a certain type well, of thing a, done. There's a difference between being a high performer and when the, what he's talking about. The, he got it like the rogue high performer. Right, and, and that's that's the part where I was going to say is that, you know, this the point he's talking about is when those high performers, those people that have become really critical to, say, your business or to a, you know, a very highly visible project, when when they go rogue, yeah. when that person kind of decides, I'm I'm either I'm done with this and I'm not going to try as hard as I used to, but I'm still... I've kind of created this world around me and, right. and no one's going to take it away from me, even though I'm underperforming. Um, so it's really just kind of that that point where that person goes over that edge and, you know, recognizing that. Um, and then also, you know, trying to get ahead of it, you know, trying to make sure that um, that you don't get yourself in that position where, you know, you don't find yourself with a rogue high performer. Well, I, I think these rogue high performers are they have to they have to either make and or break rules in order to put themselves in that position. They, yeah, they, at, at one of his one of his notes is is kind of defining the cultures, you know, really kind of defining what your culture and your organization is, and making sure that everyone conforms to that yep. to try to prevent some of this from happening, you know, and and even more so, just trying to make sure that everyone is involved in these things, or or you're you're providing some kind of training, or and these aren't his words; these are my words, but. Um, just trying to make sure that you're spreading the work around, that, that people are, are actively engaged and, you know, everyone's getting a chance to learn and grow, you know, not so much dependent on this one person. So you, you were relating this to yourself. And, and I, you know, it's, it's funny. One thing I can think of now, I would, I would say um, anytime someone's using terms like um, my code, my class, my trigger, my whatever, that's actually a warning sign. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's when I read that and I go, oh, <laughs> I'm, I might be the, yeah. the rogue guy here. I might need to step back on a few projects and let some other people uh, ha- have, have, a, have a whack at it. We should call you Rogue One. <laughs> I don't want to be Rogue John. <laughs> yeah, rogue John. There you go. Um, so that's why I appreciate when you're honest with me and you go, you know what? You got a problem here. You keep calling things mine and it's not. Well, and I always promote, you know, this the idea that every anyone is empowered Anyone and everyone is empowered to fix things on a project. If you find a bug, you know, check out the code, make a branch, fix it, push it up, do a, you know, whatever your process is, do a code review or whatever, you know. There's no ownership here. Yeah. And in fact, one thing that helps to enforce that is making people um, rotate basically like what they're, so if you have a team, like sometimes like, oh, one guy will be the person that works on a certain module and then someone else is like, they're all, you know, well, don't do that because then, you, you're creating all these silos. Like, make, make people rotate. Make make people you know cross train them so they've they know all these different modules. They know different parts of the system. So that, yeah, I don't know. I think you end up with better, more consistent solutions, and you know, it also improves your bus factor. Yeah, absolutely. I will say that um, it, it's not really a rogue thing, but I, I have seen instances, and I'm speaking about myself in particular, where I get really fatigued. And in that where I'm the, the main point for a project, mainly because it's, it's you know, it's, it's a certain technical skill that I have and it's rare. And, and so I'm, I'm taking all, of the, all this work and then I get really fatigued and I, you know, I start, I'm just like, I'm not as productive as I, as I was because I'm mentally 
exhausted. Yep. Um, so that that part's not really a rogue thing, but but I can't see how that kind of also has an impact because there's really no one to back me up. I think that's uh, well, a there common. Is, there, I think there a, is now mm-hmm. because this has been expressed and and people have come in and helped me with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's important to you know if you do have someone who's a high performer is to make sure to get them a backup because even though even if they don't go rogue and they're not that type of person or you don't think they ever will, it, there's also the factor of fatigue. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you basically, you're not allowed to get sick. You're not allowed to take vacations. Certainly not allowed to get hit by a bus. Yeah, because that's the hard part. You're, you're critical to a project. You take a vacation, and it's not like you, you're rested. You come back. You're ready to start getting some stuff done. No, all that stuff that was waiting there before is there, and now you're back into high-stress mode. Well, and also, you know you've set yourself up to the point that you're, you are the only one who can do certain things. You are the only one who can support certain systems. And so you, you never feel like you can leave your computer at home. You never feel like you can turn your phone off. Yeah. I try really hard not to put, it my, put myself in a position where I'm the only one that can do something. Um, and, and there are cases where I've tried to bring people in, but they just they just either didn't want to or didn't have the skill set for it. And there was too much going on for me to try to mentor or train them up that um, it, oftentimes I was kind of left as the only person to do it. So sometimes it just kind of happens. Yep. Uh, and it's just one of those right. things you got to keep trying yeah. and trying and trying. Right. It's not like you set that situation up for yourself. It's just, right. you know, it's not your fault. It's what, I mean, it's the organization's kind of responsibility to to make sure that th- this is a defect. I mean, this is a, yeah. again, it's an anti-pattern that an organization should watch out for. And it may not be the rogue person's fault. Like, they may not, that might not have been their choice. They didn't want, they didn't want that. They didn't want to be rogue. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I, I thought it was really great, I, mainly because I, I read it and I just instantly kind of fell into myself. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, mean I, th- I can identify with, I think, some of that as well. Yeah. So I always I always think it's great when I can find something that kind of makes me think. And, th- and this one really made me think. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very simple, easy read. Um it it's it's entertaining in its content, but uh, uh it just made me think when I read it. Yeah. So. Thank you, Mr. uh Buzzard. He's got a he's got a good blog. Yeah, he does. All right, John. Well, I am uh I think I'm tapped out here and we're are not far from 2 hours. The 2 I'm mean, probably an hour and a half actually. Yeah. Let's call it a day. What's coming up? Any thing happening? We still have the um, Texas Dreaming. No one's really said. No one's chimed in and said they want to go. I haven't heard anything. I thought I heard a few people say really? that they were planning on going. I think yeah. they're they're in the Midwest area and they were going to be at Texas Dreaming. I believe. I think at least two people. I thought on Charlie. I mean, don't we have with Charlie? We there's people in, in that are in the area. It's in Austin, right? Going to be yeah. in Austin. Yeah, that that will go. But yeah, I think some people are coming in from out of town. I just I didn't see anything in Slack, so maybe we need a a uh, Google spreadsheet or something where people can indicate their potential attendance. That or maybe we set up some kind of uh, meetup, you know, like get on meetup.com right, and set up yeah, a meetup yeah. and, and just good. use that tool for that. Right. So that is uh, May 11th through 12th. Texas Dreamin' in Austin will be there probably the 11th. That's a Thursday night. We'll try to do like a go out and go to dinner or go to a bar or something, something fun, some kind of meetup. Yeah. So keep that in mind. That would be great. Um, otherwise, share us on the socials. Tell a friend. Join our Slack community. It's fun. It's uh, got a lot of smart people there. And it's a very helpful bunch. How do you do that, John? Uh, go to our website. www.gooddayserpodcast.com forward slash community or click on community in the menu. Yep. Uh, reviews are great. We appreciate those always. If you want to help us in any way, that's a great way to do it. Or, you know, recommend us an overcast. Just click the recommend button. That's easy. 
If you have questions that you want us to cover or topics, you can email us, info at gooddaysirpodcast.com. And we will, by default, not mention your name unless you want us to. And you have to or unless, unless I mess up and, right, and then Jeremy we have to has to edit out. Right. <laughs> and to that, I say, good day, sir. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. Salesforce only does one thing, which is CRM. You can't do this with Salesforce. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. <laughs> <laughs>